Hello, and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. This week, I was joined by Catherine Phillips, the Ruben Mark Professor of Organizational Character and Director of the Bernstein Center for Leadership and Ethics at Columbia Business School. Catherine is a wonderful wellspring of insights into how businesses can create better diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Catherine joined us via studio uplink from the USA ahead of her appearance at our HRD Roadshow event in New York on September 24th, entitled A Case for Change, Moving Diversity Beyond a Conversation. I absolutely loved this interview and I think you will too. Enjoy. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So first things first then, what do you think are the major challenges to better DNI in the workplace? There are so many organizations that uh, say they are committed to DNI efforts, but one of the biggest problems is really investing in the effort. Um, I think sometimes organizations hope they can get by without spending too much money or hiring too many people or, or making too big of a deal out of it. And the reality is it requires a real commitment from leadership and a real commitment from, mm -hmm. from people in the organization to do the work that's required to make diversity um, efforts actually come to fruition. Um, so I would say, you know, just the real commitment to it is the, one of the first things. Uh, another thing is, is recognizing that diversity, diversity efforts are happening day by day, minute by minute, interaction by interaction between people in the organization. And so sometimes even if the leadership is fully committed and has articulated uh, that to everyone, it's still hard to overcome all of the day-by-day -day biases and microaggressions and problems that can just happen in interactions with people. So it's really important to recognize that it's a, an effort that is everybody must be a part of that effort. Everybody, not just the people of color, not just the women, everybody, right? So getting everybody included, I think, is um, is one of the biggest, you know, barriers right now. Yeah, and it, I, I, I think that it's one of those things that leaders can do a certain amount, but it's a societal change that needs to take place as well, right? And I suppose That's business right. can be a microcosm of that at times. You need to find a way to represent that in your organization. That's but, right. That's so right. Speaking of which, you talk about creating a, a culture of trust around DNI in in the workplace. What what do you mean by this and, and why do you think it is so important? Yeah. I think sometimes people hear the word diversity and inclusion and they think, um, this is not about me or this is out to get me even. And so there's a, a sense of um you know, not everyone is on the same right. page when we start talking about these things. And and it's it's reasonable that different people have different reactions to this depending upon what their histories are in this environment, right? And so ultimately, mm -hmm. um, we need to be honest about that and we need to acknowledge that and we need to create a culture where everyone feels like where we're trying to move is going to be good for us all. Um, and recognizing that um, with change, everyone feels some level of threat. Right. That. Wait a minute. This is going to be different than it was before. Right. What does that mean for me exactly? <laughs> right. Um, and so there's some there's some <laughs> concerns that people have. And so I think it's really important for uh, there to be a conversation that is candid and real about what people are feeling and trying to uh, really just make sure you're 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 hitting the nail on the head with 
with what it is that we're trying to accomplish here. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're trying to improve everyone's outcomes, improve everyone's experience, and make it possible for the person sitting next to you to have the same positive experience that, you, that you're having. I think also it has a huge impact as well on on business success, it seems, right, as well. And it's understanding that we're not just doing this for certain people. It is for the benefit of of everyone, you know, and creating those values in the workplace seems really important. On that note, do do you think it's the responsibility primarily of of leaders in the workplace? Is it business leaders or what and what can the HR function do to kind of make that more more present? Yeah, I think it's it's on everybody really uh and folks in hr have a unique position that they're in because they're essentially you know kind of the gatekeepers of who becomes part of the organization in a lot of ways so Mm -hmm. you know the role that they have is i think again being very clear about what the culture of this organization is and what are the kinds of people we're looking for in this organization so if the, if the HR group can attract the right people who want to be a part of an organization that cares about this, that's moving forward with this in a strong and um, adamant way, you know, you, you want to be clear about that. So the right people select themselves into your organization in the first place, right? So I would much rather be a part of an organization that has a very clear messages around this because presumably my colleagues are hearing that message and are also buying into that message just as much as I am. Of course, it's, it's, it's having that message there, but also clearly living it, I That's think, right. as well. Because it's easy, and I think we've all seen this in organizations that you walk into, where they have the big acrylic stickers on the wall saying these are our <laughs> values. And you think, okay, well, in what sense is that represented? Not only, I suppose, the people you see there, but in how you interact with each other and how business is, is, is enacted. Is there, do, you, do you think there's a, a way that we need to change how we communicate in the workplace as well to allow for diversity, a greater diversity and inclusion to become a more commonplace? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think there's lots of things we need to do in our communication, and some of it is really just deciding to be more open and less presumptuous about things. Right. Right. So, um, you know, even simple things like what did you do this weekend, even those kinds of conversations that we have with our colleagues can sometimes lead to people feeling uh, less included. Mm. So it's really important, you know, oh, did you see this show this weekend? I watched so and so. It was so good. It's like, well, I don't watch that show. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so now our conversation, what happens with our conversation here? Um, You know, so there's a, a need for all of us to recognize and understand that we are all, um, I don't know, I guess in this to learn from each other, to be open to one another's um, ways of being and to recognize that there's no one way to be, right? So so let's so let's be open to learning from each other. And I think that it, that does require a communication change and it requires a bit of consciousness on all of our part to um know not be so lazy and assume that people are just like you right (laughs) yeah there's this weird idea somehow that there's a sort of difference somehow means disadvantage in somewhere it's kind of like oh it's different it's just I, I can't really engage with that I suppose because it is different to me so there is some kind of fundamental change I suppose that needs to happen there right and it's the role of all of us as you say not just leaders to make that communication happen but you talk about something called the congruence model in creating DNI in the workplace. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, this this model, the congruence model, is one that I've been using for you know twenty plus years in my teaching, 
Um, it is not a model that was particularly designed for diversity efforts. It, it's a model that has been used by consultants for many years over um, to help organizations think about organizational change in their environments. It's a dynamic model, a model that you can use if you're thinking about trying to make a change and you want to consider and, and uh, you know what what things might um, happen as a function of that change. Uh, it's a model that you can use to um, try to evaluate problems that you see in your organization. And it's a simple input process output model. It basically says that organizations exist in an environment and in that environment there are lots of things that may constrain them in terms of what they can do as a firm, in terms of their strategy. There's the you know government regulations, it's what the competition is doing, it's what, what is the economy like in the environment? What does the market look like right now? Mm-hmm. That determines the strategy that you, that you take on. And then the, the process piece of it is really where I tend to focus my efforts as an organizational uh, scholar. And that is essentially the organization. And how do we then implement this strategy in our organization with four key pieces of the organization? It's the people that we have here, um, the, the tasks and how we define the task and work that we're doing here, here in this company, um, the culture, so that's kind of the informal culture, and then the formal structures and processes we have. So our reward system, for instance, is an example. But the critical thing about how this, how this for me, is really important for people when they're thinking about diversity efforts is essentially what we're saying is we want to make changes to the people in the organization. When you make people changes to the people, you're essentially, you know, you may have people who have different needs and motivations and ways of being than you had in the organization before. And ideally, you've created an organization where all of these components fit together. The people, the tasks, the formal culture, the informal culture. And if you change the people, you may need to make changes to other aspects of the organization as well. How might the culture need to change? Do you need to change anything about the formal structures and processes? Even the way you define the work and maybe you know set the work up may need to change, depending upon the people you have here in the organization. So I tell people all the time, when you say you want diversity, you have to be very careful about what you're asking for. Sometimes people, I think, they don't, they don't they, they think they're asking for people like themselves, but just in a skirt or um, in brown. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't want to be accepting of anything and everything else that that change might bring with it. And so I tell people. You know, you have to be clear that organizations are shaped and created for the people that are in them. We create the culture to fit the needs of the people that are in them. We put processes and reward systems in place for the people that are there. And if you change the people that are there, you might need to make some tweaks, some changes to other aspects Mm -hmm. of the organization as well. Because if you can get everything working in congruence with one another, working in a way where they fit then the organization presumably is going to perform better, right? Because people will be happier in that environment. They'll be able to do the work that you're asking them to do because they're in an environment that is allowing them to thrive. That's the, that's the model. It's starting with that idea of 
people, isn't it? It's going from the bottom up, as you say. And it's That's almost cool. like you're preparing people to, to change their, um, their, their attitude towards difference as a concept as opposed to particular kinds of difference, which has to come from the bottom up because it has to start at the level of the individual. But then also it kind of precludes and gets rid of this idea of, as we said before, putting up the values on the wall just for the sake of it, you know, because if it's coming from the bottom up, it is going to have to, as you say, make those changes in a truly impactful and kind of ingrained way. It seems like a total switch of that of that concept we might have is oh we put those values on and then and then get on with it you know yeah yeah no it's interesting because I think it's it's both a top down and a bottom up process because the thing about the congruence framework is it says there's a dynamism in this model right so as you change the people the leadership also needs to be aligned with the people and the people need to be aligned with the leadership. And if those things aren't fitting, so if the leadership is saying diversity is really important to us, but then down in what's happening with the people, you know, individuals and individuals who look different from others are, are not feeling included, you know, then it's, you have a mismatch. It, things are not fitting and you're going to have a problem, right? So it, it is right. in fact um, an opportunity for everyone in an organization to figure out how can I help make this change happen in this organization. The HR people, for instance, are really important for making determinations about who will be in the organization. But they might not have as much control and power over shaping the culture. And they may not have as much power and control over shaping the formal structures of the organization. And they may not have as much power and control over determining who works with whom and how in the organization. Mm. So they need help. They need to be working very closely with others in the organization who are in fact powerful in those positions, who are able to, to take a step back and think about, oh, wait a minute, now we have this new cohort of people we've brought into the organization. Where else might we need to make sure things are fitting their needs? You know, oh, we, have, we, didn't, we didn't have women of a certain age here in this organization before. Now we do. What do those women need? We never had, we've never had to really think about maternity leave policies because we didn't right. have people who were here having babies who were going through pregnancy, et cetera. But now we do. Now, what must we do to our formal structures and processes to ensure that those individuals can thrive here in our organization? Right. So that's kind of an extreme example. Hopefully every organization by this point has has these processes in place, right. but not all do and not all do in a robust way that fits with the culture of the organization. People are unhappy about this person having to be out. You know, well, there needs to be conversation about what does this mean for a person who leaves the organization for six to eight weeks or longer and then needs to come back to the organization. How do we accommodate that? How do we how do we change the structure of our work to ensure that this person mm -hmm. is able to come back to their job? There's all kinds of changes that need to be made to fit the needs of the people you have in the organization. And now sometimes people say to me, oh yeah, well that's the problem. We don't want to have to change anything. That's why diversity is such a problem. And it's like, right. well, you're just being lazy and unfair because the fact of the matter is the organization was changed and shaped to fit you when you came to this organization. 
<laughs> and there's this idea as well that somehow that it, it, this idea of not wanting to change is going to benefit business somehow, right? It's kind of like, oh, we, we're good as we are, you know, we don't really need to change. And it's totally counter to the idea that you have to change with the times in order to remain productive. How, how do you think these successful efforts to increase diversity and inclusion in the workplace can influence productivity? Well, I will tell you that I've done, um, you know, 20 years of research trying to understand what actually happens when a group of people comes together that that are different from one another on some um, key ways, right? Number one, there's something salient to them demographically or socially that makes them different from each other. And I've looked at, you know, typical things like race, but I've also looked at um, identities that may be salient in our particular environment, like, oh, who came with the last CEO and who came with this CEO, mm. right? These these kinds of identities that actually people use to make predictions about others in their organization. Do I think that this person who looks the same as me is going to think the same way I do, is going right. to agree with me about this problem we're, we're talking about? And this person who's different from me in some meaningful way, do I think that they are going to think differently than me or have a different perspective than I do? We make these assumptions all the time about people on the basis of very minimal characteristics, right? right? And so then what happens when you put people together in these groups they start to make those predictions and they have to work together. And they have some unique new information and perspectives that they can bring to the table. I actually make that that one big assumption in my research. If you're pulling together a group of people to mm. work together, they must there must be some differences of information or perspective amongst them. Otherwise, you really didn't need a group. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't make the decision <laughs> right, without that. Yeah. So so if you think through the logic of how I've learned uh, what I have. It's it's people are making an assumption that when they see someone who's different, that person is going to have some different, unique knowledge or perspective. In fact, if you ask people what's the benefit of diversity, they tend to say, oh, uh, people who are different will bring different perspectives mm -hmm. to the table and then we'll learn something new. Right. And we'll be able to be creative and innovative. And it's making a big assumption that the person who looks different is going to think differently. Right. And also is true. Yeah, it's also true that people assume people who look like me think the same way I do. They can't have a different perspective right. than myself. Interesting. <laughs> so, so psychologically, what's happening when people get into these groups and they're working together, they are they are working on their under these assumptions and they are behaving in ways that are aligned with these assumptions. And essentially, if in fact somebody who looks different brings a different perspective to the table, it fits people's expectations and you can learn from that and you can get benefits from it. And that is one of the ways diversity benefits organizations. But I've learned from my research that another way diversity benefits is when that person who looks different comes into the room. Again, everyone's making an assumption that they're gonna have unique perspectives, but let's assume they don't have anything unique mm -hmm. to say. They're, they're just coming in and they're agreeing with you, right? What happens is there's a still a dynamic in that room where that assumption that there should be some different perspectives, it actually lends everybody to kind of lean into the task a little bit more, work a little bit harder, look a little bit more for differences of perspective. So maybe somebody in that room who had a perspective that they otherwise didn't voice in the homogeneous setting, mm -hmm. right? They are actually more likely to voice that unique perspective now that somebody different right. is there, right? 
now they're more willing to say, well, I had this idea and I know you guys might not agree with it, but I, I want to put it out here, right? Because there's an assumption that we should be talking about different perspectives and ways of being and different ideas, et cetera, right? right? And so it requires, it requires a, a couple of understandings. One, that when you get into a diverse environment, people are going to be working harder. They are going to be leaning a little bit harder into understanding the different perspectives and ideas that are of in course. the room. That's that's more work for people, and people don't particularly like working that hard. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes with the diversity comes a little bit of oh, oh man, we have to work now, right? And they're not so happy yeah. about it. The other the other thing that comes with it is once you start to have this conversation and really voice these ideas, now you have to have a manager, you have to have a leader, you have to have someone to take those ideas and champion them through the organization, right? To make sure that these great ideas right. get utilized. And so what one of the things I know is when managers watch diverse groups, they actually see conflict. They see disagreement. Right. And it lends them to be a little skeptical and uncertain about the quality of these ideas. Everybody wasn't on the same page right away. Right. They had disagreement. They weren't sure. You know, even the group itself might have some uncertainty. In fact, um, I've shown that diverse groups will have, have a little less confidence in their ideas than the homogeneous groups do. And so you end up with a bit of a problem in that the diverse group had this wonderful conversation. They disagreed with each other. They worked hard to try to figure out what the right thing is to do. And the manager watched that. And then the, the answer goes off, right? The solution goes off into the organizational system. And it may not get the support that it needs to be as successful as it needs to be. And so ultimately, right. I think we, we, we get benefits from diversity because people are working harder in that organization. And when you look at you know, outcomes of the organizations, there's lots of correlational research suggesting that there are these benefits. And then my own research that suggests that there are these benefits, that and other of others as well. But the, for, the, for the, the innovation that can occur, it can happen, but people have to be open to that innovation. They have to be willing to push that innovation. A diversity in an organization that doesn't want to change it's probably not going to have so much benefit for that organization. Right. You kind of, you need to be willing to be snapped mm -hmm. into a different way of behaving. Yeah. It's like but willing to be pushed out of your, I suppose comfort zone seems like a, a bit of a pat way of putting it, but it's kind of, it's, it's having that willingness to, to react in that way, I That's suppose. Right. And, and also there's something, I, there's, I suppose there's some value in ideas being critically assessed and not necessarily just being given the time of day because they're there. So there is a kind of, a constant heightened awareness, right, in those scenarios, right. which leads to a kind of infused productivity. But I, I think that one of the the struggles I think that some people leaders face, whether in the HR function or otherwise, is finding that initial way to to create those connections with people. Because as much as there might be that that disconnect, as you say, and and how that can have a a productive effect, how can uh, people leaders, HR leaders, business leaders create those connections in the workplace and break down those barriers to enable people to feel some level, I suppose, of comfort or a willingness to, to be themselves and, and, and to work harder as a result. Yeah. So it's, it's, it requires lots of, lots of things. It really is about creating that culture um, day by day, right, with, with your leaders. So 
Um, but here's a couple of, of concrete things that people can be thinking about. So as leaders of your, let's say your team, your group, um, you have an opportunity to essentially set the tone, what the expectations will be. Um, creating a context where hearing from everybody is just normal, where people are not interrupting each other when you're having conversation is just mm-hmm. normal, where you're expecting there to be some differences of opinion expressed. And in fact, you are encouraging some conflict as, hey, we haven't done our work here unless we have some different perspectives shared. So let's get to work. Um, and setting that tone and expectation that this is the way we work. This is what work is. It is requiring us to um, to engage and disagree and then walk away and, you know, go have some drinks together. I do think it's important to to have connections with people in the workplace and to build some relationships with others um, that are meaningful and that that allow you to feel that level of comfort in your environment. Right. So there's a there's a balance. We think of this as a balancing act that we are constantly trying to create between, uh, you know, kind of disagreeing and being different from each other, while at the same time having real connection and cohesion, right, with each other and the organization. So, you know, being clear about we're all in this together, we're all trying to move forward and be successful together, we're all trying to solve these problems together, right? Uh, But to do that, we need each individual to do their work, right, and to bring their A-game and to bring their perspectives and to bring their experiences to the table. Because without that, we can't move together effectively, right? So it's about the language that we use. So you mentioned earlier communication, right? It's about the language we use. It's about the expectations we set. Uh, It's about being deliberate and shaping those environments and not expecting it to just happen magically, right? It won't just nice. happen magically. You have to be intentional about those things. Um, and I think it, it really is about doing that work day to day and then revisiting it, making sure that it actually is working for everyone, asking for people's input on that, you know, and not, not essentially uh, kind of taking it for granted that everything is going just fine. Right. So, um, you know, so I think because I think a part of what we miss in some of our teamwork, et cetera, is is people's ideas never get mentioned. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. You don't know that people are withholding ideas. You don't know that because, you know, that that person's just quiet. It's like, well, actually, that person has amazing ideas that they're not willing to speak up because they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel included. (laughs) Uh, so but you know you so you have to you have to be thinking about the possibility that there's knowledge and perspectives that i'm missing out on in this environment and i want to do everything i can to get it all out here on the table so that we can make decisions that are at least uh as well informed by everyone we have paid to be here as possible. (laughs) Fantastic. Catherine Phillips, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been really, really insightful. And um, I look forward to having you on here again as soon as possible. (laughs) Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast. If you're senior level HR, you're in the New York area on September 24th, and you'd like to attend the roadshow, you can get in touch by emailing me at hrdpodcasts at contentive.com.
Remember to subscribe via HRD Connect, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a brand new episode every week. Bye-bye.